Hi, welcome to the Axe Church UK weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired and blessed by today's message. Enjoy. Uh, if you have your Bibles, can I invite you in a while to turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. And uh, we're going to be reading quite a big chunk of Scripture today, uh, but I hope that's okay. Uh, so Daniel chapter 4, we're going to be reading from verse 4 to 9. And then after that, we're going to be reading from the same chapter, verse 20 to 36. Amen? So Daniel 4, 4 to 9, then 20 to 36. Uh, we want to be looking at, you know, the life of Daniel, but specifically his uh, interaction uh, with uh, this ancient Babylonian king called Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, we want to learn from uh, this. And uh, uh, if you have your Bibles can, and, and you've, if you're already there, can I hear a good amen? Amen. If not, uh, it's okay. We love you. Uh, but we also have it flash up on the screen uh, for your just uh, reading purposes. If you can see it, uh, if you can't see it, then, you know, sorry, you just got to bring your own Bible to church. Uh, but it's always good uh, to bring your own Bible to church. Amen. Uh, let's read together. Uh, it's always good to just read God's Word out loud. And uh, so Daniel chapter 4, verse 4 to 9 says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head, what well, sounds like it's a Dr. Seuss rhyme, troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, and they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. So they, they can't. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Bethelshazzar, according to the name that I gave him, because in him is the spirit of the holy God. I told the dream before him, saying, Bethelshazzar, chief of magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretations. Okay, so this is just a setup, right? So the book of Daniel talks about God's people in exile. You know, at one time, God, you know, uh, uh, brought uh, this couple, Abram and Sarah, and uh, God said to this couple who were very old in age, and said, if you would trust me, uh, I'm going to multiply you, bless you, and make you into a great nation. And then I'm going to use you as a nation to be a blessing to the nations, to the rest of the world. God's heart has always been to reach into humanity to help us. And from Abraham and Sarah, they became a mighty nation. But every now and then, that nation would rebel against God. Uh, and all of us, we've been there before. Even though God has blessed us, we rebel against Him. Uh, we take Him for granted. And uh, so severe was the rebellion that God had to humble them and teach them a lesson that He allowed another nation called Babylon to conquer them. And so for a while, the people were in exile. They were kind of scattered. There was diaspora. Some people were fled Israel to the neighboring country. Some people were captured by the Babylonian Empire and brought into captivity. And Daniel uh, was one such person. So Daniel uh, was among the tribe of Judah who was then brought in uh, into ancient Babylon and uh, God was with him. 
and God caused him to be promoted to a position of influence. And so even though we just read that he was the chief of magicians, he wasn't actually practicing magic. But because so much of God, the presence of the Holy God was in him, he was so filled with the Holy Spirit that the world around him that did not know God had no other categories to, to put him in. You know, how many know that sometimes, you know, you're, you're so blessed and, and uh, you know, your friends don't know how to categorize you, you know, and, uh, you know, Daniel had the same experience and so they had to kind of label him a magician but how many know that he was so much more than that? He didn't perform magic but he, he, he embodied, uh, uh, you know, the presence of the living God and, uh, and so he was able to be of help to this king. So now, now let's read Daniel's interpretation. Daniel chapter 4, verse 20 to 36, all right? Now, this is the the vision, right? The tree that you saw, Daniel said, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, which could be seen by all the earth. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a really big tree. That's a really big tree, right? All so big, so high, you can see it's, it's like a skyscraper. Whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beast of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and its roots on the earth. That means don't uproot it completely, just chop it down, but leave it, give it opportunity to regrow again, and bound it with iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High God, which has come upon my Lord, the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of heaven and He gives to whoever He chooses." And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Amen? And let's turn the next page. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be lengthening of your prosperity. And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And so that was the advice that Daniel gives. Say, I, I see this, this vision that troubled you. I see it, it, it's serious and it's about you. And unless you change your ways, uh, bad things are going to happen to you. How many know that, you know, uh, uh, when you read this kind of stories, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he wasn't a good king. If you read the previous chapters, you will see that he was, he was always out there conquering, killing, pillaging, and he had an ego about him. He would build statues by himself. People who disagree with him, he would just try to execute them. And so he wasn't a good person. And so when we read scriptures like this, our first reaction should be like, wow, how great is God's love? Despite this being an evildoer, God didn't just cancel him out. We live in a culture today where it's cancel culture. Someone says something wrong, let's cancel him. Someone did something wrong, let's cancel him. Someone tweeted something 20 years ago that, that doesn't fit with the categories of today's society's norms. Let's cancel him. Today's society, is, there's no mercy, no grace. Yet the God we serve is full of mercy, full of grace. Showing mercy and grace not just to the good and the faithful, but even to the unfaithful and evil. Such is the love of God. 
So if you're seated here and you're thinking, man, I, I don't know about this Christianity. I don't think I fit in. You know, I, 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 I'm, doesn't change the fact that God loves you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. Amen. But, but let's keep on reading. So all this came to pass in King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. So after all these warnings, there was still 12 months time. You know, so one day he was just walking about in the royal palace of Babylon, maybe the hanging gardens of Babylon even. The king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honour of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. Seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from man and began to eat grass like oxen. His body became wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grown out like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honour, my splendour returned to me. My counsellors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was even added to me. Wow. Praise God. Right. Let's summarise here. King Nebuchadnezzar, when we read something like this, I believe that a lot of us, we can see a little bit of ourselves in King Nebuchadnezzar. Here was a self-made king. And a lot of us here who live in London, we can relate to that. You know, if you're a young working adult and uh, you're working in London and, uh, you know, you are, you made it or you're making it. You're earning your own rent in one of the cities around the world that has the highest rent next to New York, I heard. You know, there's a self-made vibe about you. You got a job. You're maybe you know, uh, financially kind of like supporting yourself. Uh, your career is going up and up. You know, you're getting promotions. You're getting open doors for you. And all of us, we can feel a little bit of King Nebuchadnezzar. Even if you're not a young working out, you're a student. Hey, you made it. You made it. You know, whatever university, UCL, LSC, King's College, Imperial, these are some of the top universities in the world. Congratulations, you made it, right? And another thing you made it is that you're surviving in London. You know, London's not a very easy place to live. You know, ask any other student who study in any other city. When they come to London, they go like, ew. But then people in London, you go like, it's not too bad. And maybe some of you who, if you're students and you're still new to London, you're thinking, Pastor, I don't get it. You say, not so bad. And I, I hate it here. It's okay. It's okay. London grows on you. 
like a Malaysian accent. It sounds ridiculous initially, but eventually you go like, oh, this, this is quite cool. I can get behind this. You know, and, 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 and so, you know, a lot of us here, we are like King Nebuchadnezzar in a way. But, but, but all jokes aside, King Nebuchadnezzar was a person who was ruled by three things, right? He was ruled by pride. That's pretty obvious. He stood there at the balcony and go like, wow, look at my kingdom. How great I am. He was ruled by fear. He had a dream and he panicked and he was greatly disturbed. Started consulting magicians and soothsayers and fortune tellers. This was a paranoid, fearful man. And of course, he was ruled by his flesh. His flesh. The darker impulses of our personality, uh, uh, the, the parts of us. Uh, things like, I don't know, things that don't honour God. Things that are selfish. The Bible has a word. It, it's, it's a love for sin. Pride is a love of self. Fear is a love of things. Flesh is a love of sin. And, uh, you know, why do I say he was ruled by flesh? Because even though he was given the warning... He procrastinated for 12 months. It wasn't like God wasn't merciful. God gave him the warning and gave him time. And, and, and he thought to himself, ah, I got time. I got time. I can think about it. Let me sleep on it. Let me pray about it. And, and, and so in life, we are ruled. Some of us here were ruled by pride. We're ruled by fear. We are ruled by our flesh. If you're taking down notes, the title of the message today is called God Rules. Because if there's one thing we can learn from this passage is that when we become ruled by pride, ruled by fear, ruled by our flesh, nothing good can come out of it. It's only when we recognize that God rules and reigns that everything else begins to make sense and fall into its proper place and order in our lives. Now, before I continue, some of you might be thinking, oh, Pastor, you know, I'm not prideful. King Nebuchadnezzar's prideful. I'm not prideful. My boss might be prideful, but I'm not prideful. But that's a sneaky thing about pride. It sneaks up on us. There's just two ways for us to interpret pride. The most obvious way is to think that I am better. I am better. And all of us here, even though you might not go around boasting, I am better, you meditate upon this often. You look at, you know, uh, uh, you know, you went for your job interview and there was 20 applicants. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure how job interviews are done nowadays. I'm, I'm using my example. You know, how many of you people are around my age, do you remember the times where you had to dress up smart? You know, not put on a Zoom call and only dress the upper body. <laughs> you had to dress up. You had to walk somewhere. You had to walk in the room. I remember, you know, back then, the, the, the coaching for interview was very different. They say, when you walk in, you got to walk in straight because the moment you walk in the room, they're judging you. Nowadays, you turn on the camera and put on the filter. Uh, you know, so back then, it's different, right? But even if, no matter how the interview process was, the fact that you got it, and maybe a friend of yours went in, applied for the same job, but they did not get it, sometimes on the subconscious level, we go like, ha-ha, I did better. That's pride. Ha-ha, I did better. I spoke better. My grades were better. Why, why were my grades better? Because I did better in exam. Why do you do better in exam? Because I studied better. I had a better management of time. Do you see how on, 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 we look all okay on the outside, but there's a pride on the inside. Sometimes if we admit, we even walk around and we look at people, 
maybe begging and asking for alms on the street and we go like, and we judge them. We go like, you're fully able. Why don't you get a job? I'm walking to my job. Be better. We don't say that. We just ignore them. But in our heart of hearts, we're prideful. Too proud to even pay them attention. Ooh, ouch. But there's another way. And this is, instead of I am better, we say I deserve better. And then you look at your friends who, I don't know, went for the interview and then they got the job and you didn't get the job. And then you go like, this life is not fair. I, did, I, I was a better student. I'm better looking. I have better connections. How come that person got the job? I deserve better. When we go to a restaurant and then the people are rude towards us, we go like, I deserve better. And you go online and write them a nasty Google review. And, 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 and we, we have... Well, guys, no, 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 no. Okay, church. God loves all, okay? So pride, if you're not careful, can make us a villain whether we're winning in our victory or make us a victim. And sometimes as Christians, we are very prideful. We, we cry out to God, God, I tithe, but how come I don't have money? My friends who don't tithe, in fact, that Christian brother who I know doesn't tithe, goes on holiday all the time. How come he is getting blessed? I do go on holiday. I sow my holiday money into the, the offering fund, into missions fund. And how come I'm strapped for cash every month? How come my rent is going up? But that brother, that sister, you see, Christians, this is us, right? And so we, pride makes us, you know, and, and the, at the bottom line is this, you love yourself. You, you, you think that you are more worth it. Fear right, also gets at us. Now, I'm not going to try to give you a message of like, don't have fear, have faith. Because as I begin to meditate on fear, why did I say here earlier on that fear is a love for things? Because I, f- I feel like love and fear are on the same coin. You know, it's just two sides of the same coin. The reason why we are afraid, the reason why we worry is because we love. Everyone who, who has a loving relationship understands this, right? Why, if you live your parents, and some of us here students, you go back for summer break, you come to London, you experience freedom, you experience independence, you're going in and out as you wish, and then suddenly you go back home for the weekend and you live under another person's roof again. And then you, the moment you just want to go out, your parents go, where, where are you going? Where are you going? And they go like, Mom! I'm an adult. I know what I'm doing. I'm living in London, okay? But, but, and then you go, okay, fine, fine, fine. And then by 10 o'clock, they call you, where are you? Where are you? Are you on your way home yet? And you go, like, oh, my way. I'm on my way out. And then you get frustrated. And you're thinking, mom, stop being so fearful. Your, your mom, maybe she is fearful. She's worried. But the reason why she's fearful, she's worried because she loves she loves. The reason why you're fearful and worried that you might be retrenched. When you suddenly hear that, oh no, all the big tech companies are, 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 are retrenching, retrenching, downsizing, downsizing. Ah! You're scared. When suddenly the boss says, uh, all hands meeting, you'll be like, oh no, all hands meeting. Am I going to get fired over Zoom? And the reason why you're afraid is because you love. You love your job. You love having a job. 
or at least you love that the money that your job is paying you. <laughs> Even if you don't love your boss, but you love the benefits. You love something. You have something to lose. Something that you love is on the line. That's why you are afraid. And of course, the flesh, you know, you don't have to go into detail. You know, I know. And so, one thing we can learn is this. If we are somebody that pride is ruling us more than we realize, fear is ruling us more than we realize, and, and our flesh, our darker impulses are ruling us, we need God to set us free. And, and there's something very beautiful about God's engagement with Nebuchadnezzar. God, when He said Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't change your ways, you're going to become like an animal. You know, God wasn't playing a trick on Nebuchadnezzar, but God was in a way, you know, how many of you have uh, watched that Christmas classic, you know, uh, what was it called? It's about Scrooge, and uh, you know, he's given a vision of the future. Christmas Carol. Somebody says Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah, 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 true, true. That, that's true, but Christmas Carol, right? And, and, and in a way, this was, you know, I, I feel that the story of Scrooge was, was inspired by this because Scrooge, just in case you don't know, go back, Google Christmas Carol. He was given a vision of the future and said that if you don't change your ways, nobody's going to love you. You're going to end up alone, dead, unloved. And God was giving Nebuchadnezzar a sneak peek. If you continue to be prideful, you're not going to become like an animal. Because, you know, another way to express pride, pride is somebody who cannot sympathize. Because you think you're better. So you can't sympathize. You can't see things from the other point of view. And you know who can't sympathize? Who? Animals. Animals. Trust me, I have a dog. When I, we, we've tried it many times. Pastor Cat will go like, hey, quick. Quick, uh, pretend to cry and see whether the dog will come and comfort you. You know, I cry and then the dog just sat next to me and scratched her ear. <laughs> you know, the dog, the, there's no sympathy. Animals have no sympathy. No sympathy. Right? Uh, uh, um, and, and, and God is saying that if, if you continue to be prideful, you're going to become like an animal. If you're going to be ruled by fear, you're going to become an animal. Do you know some of the most fearful creatures are wild animals? Have you tried to help a cat down from a tree before? No, I have. They don't like it, even though they're stuck and they're crying out for help. And when you try to help them, they scratch because they are ruled by fear. And of course, when you're ruled by your flesh, when you just do whatever your body and your emotions and your hormones dictate you, 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 you become... Like an animal. And that's why animals, you know, they, they you know, like, they're just out of control. You know, my, thank God, my dog doesn't hump people. My dog's very friendly. But I've been to people's houses. I never understood. I've only watched it on comedies and always jokes about the humping dog until I visit someone with a humping dog and then I go like, can I kick it? Why? This is rude. This is, you don't do this. But that animal was following its fleshly impulses for whatever reason. And so God is saying that if, if you, friends, if you don't change your prideful ways, if you don't change your fearful ways, if you don't change your fleshly ways, don't say you, we, we will become like animals. But God is saying that that's not my plan for you. 
And un unless we change, we will become the worst version of ourselves. But God wants us to be the best version of ourselves. So how did God intervene? The answer is from God. It's always from God. And in fact, it was only when King Nebuchadnezzar, in fact, the, the, the visual warning says that until you look up to heaven and realize it's God. And so the answer is God. The solution is from God. And so there are three things, three points I want to give you and share with you today that will help you uh, to combat pride, fear, and flesh in your lives and, and enable you to live a life where God rules and reigns. And I want to help you to see that God ruling and reigning is a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. It's the best thing that can ever happen to you. And so, if you're seated here and you're, you've been ruled by pride, ruled by your ego, you know, you've not been the easiest person to hang out with, you're constantly getting into arguments with your words, you cut people with your words, you look down at others, or worse, you're always insecure, always fearful, always trying to hold on to things that belong to you tighter and tighter. You're always worrying, even though there's nothing to worry. And you cannot help but follow the darker impulses of your personality, your flesh, to gossip, to sin, to, to, to you know, to, to all, all those things that you know are evil in the eyes of God. Friends, I want you to know, turn to Him. Turn to God. Turn to Him. Let Him rule. Let Him take over. The Bible says that God is love. And the thing is this, that when you're prideful, you love yourself. But God is saying that the answer to that is to love Him. And how do we love Him? Point number one, acknowledge Him. Love Him by acknowledging Him. That means remember or realize, or acknowledge, or give credit to God for all that He has done. You know, let me speak to Christians for a while here. Do you know that you are a living, breathing miracle? And I don't just mean that from the miracle of the human body. I mean that in every step of the way. Only God. What is a miracle? Miracle is a God intervention. And only a miracle puts you here in London, put you here in this room. A miracle. You know, uh, uh, don't, if you don't believe me, let me just share a story with you. Uh, because the other day I was just talking to somebody uh, and I started sharing with him about the journey that Pastor Ken and I have been through in even coming over here to the UK. And sometimes we need to remember that actually all that we have is from God. Because even Christians can become prideful. Even as a pastor, if not careful, if the church goes big, I can fall into the trap. I'm thinking, ah, I'm a better preacher than other pastors. Or if the church shrinks, I can become very insecure and go like, you know, I'm putting on all the hard work. I, I deserve a bigger church. I deserve more faithful church members. I deserve... You know, what I'm prescribing is not just preaching to you. It's also for me. And, and the antidote is to love God and love Him by acknowledging Him. You see, when Ken and I first came over here um, in 2015, March 2015, March this year will be the start of our 10th year here in the UK. And, and, and March 2015, we came over here by faith. 
God had placed it upon our heart to come here and build His church. We had no visa, no connection, and church wasn't even a registered legal entity yet. It was just a bunch of faithful people gathering every Sunday by faith. And so when Ken and I felt God's call, they come over here. You know, that there are no leaders here. There's no, you can come over here and kind of like be the anchor. Because London being London is also a rotating door. Praise God, we get people, but every two years, people go on. There needs to be anchor. There needs to be leaders that are anchoring the service, helping the service to grow. So by faith, we came over here. And a Malaysian passport gives you six months tourist visa. So we came in. What's the purpose of your visit? Holiday. And uh, we came in. And for the first, I think, three and a half months, we work our butts off trying to build up God's church, but at the same time, applying uh, for the church to become a recognized charity. Because we figured that, God, if you want your church to grow, then, you know, it, it needs to be legal, it needs to be able to support itself, uh, and it needs to be able to maybe even sponsor a work visa for me. So we did our research. And, and because, you know, and, and again, that is even by God's grace. Of all people that God could send, he chose to send one and a half lawyers. The full one lawyer is Pastor Cat. The half lawyer is me. The other half is a pastor. So I'm kind of like, you know, anyway. And, 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 and because of our legal background, we're able to read the documents and go like, ah, there's a way. There's a way. So when we came in here, we were doing church, but we were also putting in all the applications, writing into the Treasury Commission and say that, we, God, you got to help us. We've got a six-month visa window. We've got to get first step, register a church as a charity, and by God's grace, we did it. Some back and forth, back and forth, but, you know, our legal, you know, uh, uh, lingo, we were able to like, you know, four, 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 and then get it. Yes! But then after that, okay, we got to exit and then come back in again. Because six months is up, we came back in again, and then this time they asked us more questions. Oh, you're back again so soon? When was the last time you were here? Uh, last month. How long did you stay? Three and a half months. Why do you stay so long? How do you finance yourself? And we were there like, <laughs> but by God's grace, by God's grace, God allowed that Immigration officer, fine, stamp. But I could feel like he was eyeing me as we walked past, as if telling us that this is the last shot. And so with six more months left, we continue to build church. And this time we had to apply for the newly registered ex-London charity to become a visa sponsor, specifically a tier two minister of religion visa sponsor. And so a lot of back and forth with the lawyers again. And, 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 and because lawyer fees are so expensive, do you know what me and Pastor Cat did to save money? Because lawyers charge by the hour. Just in case you don't know, they charge by the hour. So every hour I get to spend with Pastor Cat is, is a blessing. You know, and, and, and you too, and you too, okay? Okay, if you, if you, you know, ask her how much she charges an hour, then you'll be like, wow, we get to have lunch. Um... And so what we did was, we go like, okay, we, we raise up money, but the lawyers were clueless. They go, oh, we've never done this before. So they spent hours and hours on research and then our money just that we raised up just went towards research. So we said, no, enough of this. We're going to do the research. So we did all the research and then we wrote a lengthy email to the lawyers, giving instruction to the lawyers, look at section this and section this and disregard section this and this and this and this and this. And this. 
basically help the lawyer do the work that we're paying him to do. And even that, by God's grace, all the documentation done, and then we say, okay, I'm sending it in, says the lawyer. I say, praise God, send it in. But because of the back and forth, and, and, and sometimes, you know, we got to raise money. Uh, we had to pause the work. We had to tell the lawyer, stop working, we can't pay you. We need to raise money before you can continue working again. So long story short, by the time we put in the application to the home office, it was close to Christmas. It was close to Christmas. And the lawyers say, uh, in this country, the... Oh, he didn't sound like that, but he said, in this country, to us, he sounded like... Anyway, uh, to, we're very thankful, thank you. Um, just in case he comes one day, we love you. Um, and he says that, you know, um, the return, you know, the, the, the response that the home office get back to you can be anything from, is it three weeks to six weeks to three months? Six weeks to three months. How many of you have had the you no know, experience that the first time you installed internet in this country? When are you coming? Um, somewhere along today. <laughs> you go like, when? And so for us, it was six weeks to three months. We sent it in in December. Our visa, six months, was up by January. And we were like, how, Lord? How? And even then, we're not sure if the home office will be absolutely happy. And by the grace of God, we sent it in around, uh, you know, around, I don't know, around Christmas time. And of course, who works during Christmas time, right? So anyway, we sent it in. We focus on, you know, serving, doing Christmas dinner and, 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 and hang out with the students and all that. Because for the first time, we have leaders here to anchor over Christmas and then in the new year, specifically on the 2nd of January 2016, we were checking our PO box and then we opened up and we saw a huge envelope from the home office. And we're thinking, we just sent it in like a few weeks ago. Less, they say six weeks to three months. This was like less than two weeks ago we sent this in. All the original documents are back. Is this a rejection? We were worried, we were afraid. Did they say they're not enough information, therefore they send everything? Because either way, they, need to, they will send you back all the original content. And so with fear and trembling, we brought it up. And as you remember, we ripped open, we, we, we opened the cover letter, and cover letter says, congratulations, your visa sponsorship has been approved. And dated 23rd of December. That means this dude approved it before he went on holiday. He, 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 like, like we didn't have to wait for six weeks or three months. I still remember, we, we, if you ever come to visit our house, I can point you to the exact spot. We dropped down on our knees and we started weeping and thanking God because a miracle has happened. And, and that's just the visa. I haven't even told you about this room. Do you know when we were, just came over here, we were meeting in the living room and after a while, you know, we want the church to grow but, but it was tough meeting in the living room. First of all, we, you know, if you try inviting your friends, would you like to come to church? Yes. Where's the address? It's flat 2, number 26 and then they're going to be like, is it a cult? And so we figured that, no, good that we're having a living room, good that we have a space to meet but I think we need to go out to someplace more public and so we were looking, praying, thinking where to go, where to go, where to go. So I started going, walking around this area by faith. I said, God, we want to be near some of the major train stations so that people can get to us easily. Camden, people think it's a bit dodgy so Lord, help us to move out of Camden. <laughs> it's not that dodgy. People just think it is dodgy. Every postcode has dodgy site. Even Chelsea is dodgy. Anyway, uh, so... 
you know, and, and, and so when we moved out here, I was, I was spying. I still remember the first time I saw the room, I, I peeked out from outside that window, right at the back window, so outside in. And then I came back and told Kat, I said, I saw this room, I think it could work. And then Kat says, describe the room for me. And I described, I went on the internet and uh, found out contact. We came in, have a look at the place, I took a picture and I showed Kat. Kat says, I had a dream that God was going to lead us to a place and it looks exactly like that. And so I was like, wow. And when we first came in, we, we weren't even in this hall, we were in that, in that you, you see that partition, everybody turn around, you see that first wooden arch, right? There's first wooden arch here, second wooden arch here, first wooden arch. The wall was up, that was the main entrance. There was only one entrance. If you come in late, the whole church can see you because <laughs> all the chairs were seated facing the entrance. If you go to the toilet, how long you were, everybody knew. But it wasn't as bad because when we used to meet at the hub, what you did in the toilet, everybody knew. Anyway, it doesn't matter. And so we went there. And the room had 30 chairs. And 30 chairs was a big move of faith. We were like, 30 chairs, oh my Lord, how are we going to fill 30 chairs? Because back then, if you can get 15 people on a Sunday, we were like, praise God, testimony. Last week, we had breakthrough attendance. 15 people came. The week before, 12. And here, we felt God says, move out to this 30-seater. And by God's grace, we move in. By God's grace, friend's house was very kind to us. They quoted us a price. We say, so sorry, we can't pay this. Can you give us a discount? They gave us a discount to the price. We say, please, can you give us another discount? And then they gave us another discount, special rate. We're like, thank you. And even then, it was still a faith amount. And But we moved by faith. And even when we were there in a public place, looking a little bit more respectable. You know, there are some people who still came. Thank God today they're still in church. But when they first Sunday they came, we're like, wow, praise God, got some new students from Hong Kong. And then right after service, they ran out before I could even say hi. Because they thought, you know, I don't know, everything looks okay, looks legit, sounds right, but too small. I'm just afraid, just afraid, just afraid. You see, we're ruled by fear. Even in church, ruled by fear. But praise God. Right? God grew, we move from that hall to this hall, and from this hall, we take another hall, and now we take all three halls by the grace of God. It's a miracle. And, and, and that's just how we got here. Do you know, can I very quickly, I, I can tell you testimonies after testimonies until the cows come home, but can I very quickly tell you one? I still got two more points to give you one more. Do you know how come we got the visa in, 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 in two weeks Less than two weeks instead of the usual six weeks to three months. Miracle. Because in 2019, when our visa was up for renewal, it was a three-year visa, it was going to be renewed. We put in the renewal, we put in express. We, by then, God had blessed Pastor Cat with a job. So we were able to put in some extra money for the express routes. And the express route became a delayed route because we're supposed to get it back within, I don't know, how many days? Ten working days. We ended up waiting for close to six months, if not more than that. And then we were saying that, why is it taking so long? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And the lawyer said, oh. And then finally, we got a letter from the home office saying that we need to do a check. And we go like, oh no, did we do something wrong? And then so they came and do a check. They interrogated myself and Toby and Rora's dad, who is our director and our benefactor for church and, and they interrogated us for three to five hours. We had a dog by then. I asked Sam, Sam, can you walk the dog? 
So we don't want the home office to come and, you know, just in case the dog puts him off and poor Sam end up walking for five hours with the dog. <laughs> you know, both him and the dog came back, their legs were wobbling. I brought him out for a meal after that. You know, he never walks the dog for us ever since. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> and long story short, they interviewed us, they grew us everything. What do you do? What organization? What do you do? Blah, 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 blah. And then as I'm talking to them, I explain to them, I'm thinking like, why are you asking me stuff, you know, from, from all the way in 2016? Why are you, I, I thought I felt in all this information. And then later on, after three, close to five hours, they were convinced that we were not terrorists and we were good people and that I wasn't being human trafficked. Um, but they had one recommendation. They said that you work too much, you need to take a break, um, legally speaking, of course. And long story short, they later, when, when it became known that, okay, well, well, you know, it's not our fault, then, then they let their guard down and go like, okay. The reason why we had to ask all and grill you is because, by right, before we allow a visa to be sponsored, there needs to be an on-location check and interview. So it needs to happen either before the visa is approved or three, within three months of the visa being approved so that we make sure that this is not some dodgy, you know, um, you know, illegal business trying to masquerade as a charity. And so the reason why we came is because when, we, when your thing came in for renewal, we were checking to see for the first check and we couldn't find any check. And that's why it kept being tough for different departments. And so we came and we had to check you for all the years. But the waiting wasn't fun. <laughs> the interrogation wasn't fun. But then when, you, when I understood that, I sat back and go like, what about God? You're so, so good. Because if they had come three months before that, they might reject us. They might come and go like, you want to hire someone, but you only got 10 members, too small. Try again when you're bigger. But by the grace of God, they came to visit us in 2019. By then, by the grace of God, we had become, you know, do you know in the early years, we didn't have sound system. We didn't even have a keyboard. Poor Sam, who was leading worship, had to just you know, go a cappella and just you know, sing. And, and by the time we came to check, there was like, okay, this is pictures. These are the baptism candidates. These are our recorded messages online. This is our website. This is our church member. This is this, 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 this. By then, there were fruits by the grace of God, to show. And of course, now, you know, by the grace of God, uh, we don't even need that anymore. And all I'm saying is this, that it's, it's, it's God. It's God. And that's just how Ken and I got here. I haven't even started on how you got here. Sometimes I don't even know how you got here. Because people just say, oh, I heard from someone that there's a church. Heard from who? Who? Maybe an angel of the Lord is helping us give out flyers in the middle of Oxford Street, telling people, you know, sometimes I talk to you, go, oh, a friend told me, a friend, whose friend? And you mentioned a friend's name, I go, I have no idea who that person is. But praise God. Praise God. And a lot of you, when you first came, there were the different things, but, but, but maybe initially you didn't like it, but you experienced God. It was a miracle. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell you, we can, I need to move on, but I'm trying to tell you that the very chairs that you're sitting on, it's a miracle. The very room we're meeting, it's a miracle. The very pe person I'm, you're talking to or hearing right now is a miracle. You are a miracle. Acknowledge God. How do you kill pride in your life? Acknowledge that it's not about you. The world likes to preach a message of self-help and self-made. Christianity is God-help and God-made. 
We say that I am here not because I am a self-help person. I read that self-help book. No, no, no. I read a Bible and the Bible is God helped. For God so loved the world that He helped mankind. That He sent the only Son. That He died on the cross. That He gave His life. We are here because God helped. Nebuchadnezzar was there because God enabled him. He just forgot about it. Friends, if you're being ruled by pride, begin to kill that pride and say that, God, I acknowledge you. It's all you. It's all you. It's all you. Amen? We need to pause for a moment and go like, God, it's all you. It's always been you. But secondly, we got to worship him. Worship him. Once you realize that it's all Him, you begin to say, God, I, I, you know, worship is, in other words, it's an expression of love. It is a vocalization of how much God means to you. Do you know that when you really love someone, you can't stay silent? You can't. And I'm not even talking about relational love. Relational love, of course, when you're, you know, do you remember the first time if you've ever been in a relationship before, even if it didn't work out, just think of the good times. When you, when, you, when you first had crush, it was bubbling up on the inside and you couldn't keep it silent. Even if you didn't have the courage to tell that person, you told your friends. Hey, you see that, that girl over there? <laughs> I like her. <laughs> and you go, to, do you think I have a chance? Do you think I have a chance? Do you think I have a chance? You go to our girlfriends, you go like, uh, you know, do you think I have a chance? Can you bring me a You can't help but tell people about it. That's why we go to football stadiums and it's never silent. It's a beautiful thing. It, that means there's something very human within us that knows that, that when emotion bubbles up, we cannot help but release it in a joyous sound, whether it's in a cheer or a song. And that's why even... When we celebrate someone's birthday, we sing. The, 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 the only, you know, sport that I find boring is tennis and golf. Too polite. <laughs> hey! <laughs> boring! <laughs> like, boo! Give me football. Give me rugby anytime. Whether the team is winning or losing, you'll be like, hey! Like something, there's something real. Real. Real love, real disappointment, real. And, 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 and why worship Him? Because worship is the opposite of worry. We, we are afraid, we're ruled by fear, we're worrying. What if I lose my job? What if I don't have enough? What if my landlord raises my rent? What if my, my, my friend gets promoted before me? What if I am single for the rest of my life? What if I don't get married? What if I get married but then end up in divorce? What if I get married don't have kids? What if I get married and have kids? What if my kids turn out well but I can't support them? What if my kids turn out not well and I have to support them? Worry, 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 worry. Humanity, even if good things happen to us, we cannot help but worry. But the Bible says, what Jesus in fact says, what can you do? What can worry do? Can worry change anything? No. Instead, worship. When King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged that God was the one that placed him on top, he couldn't help but burst forth in worship. This is a king. And so friends, when we worship, you know, we're saying that God, I love these things. I love having these things, but Lord, I love you more. 
And, and the more I try to keep these things with my own strength, the more I cannot help but worry. But Lord, I choose to focus on you. And now it's your love. And acknowledge that it was your love that put me here. And it is your love that sustains me. And because it's your love that sustains me, I, I, I'm not worried about losing these things. Because if I gain these things, wonderful. If I lose these things, you have something better in store for me. And so instead of worshipping the object, I worship the Creator. And that's another thing that we must not miss about worship is that worship is spiritual. You see, when we worship, it's not just about singing some songs. Something happens in worship. When we worship, it's as if our words, the Bible says that the, 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 the God's truth, God's word is like a double-edged sword. It's sharp. And so when we worship, we're not just singing tunes. We're, we're declaring God's truth. Everything that we're saying, God, you're great. God, you're amazing. You know, God, you've never failed. These are all God's truth. And it feels like as we're singing, you know, it's like a very sharp sword escaping our mouths and begin to cut, spiritually cut into our situations. And it, it feels as if like, like the, the veil, the dimensional veil between the natural realm and the spiritual realm is broken when our worship enters the atmosphere. It begins to cut and the kingdom of God begins to bleed through and begin to affect. That's why when you worship, peace comes upon you. Where did that peace come from? It's not from this realm because this realm is full of trouble and stress. It's from God's realm entering your realm, entering your life, entering your mind. When you worship God, when you lift Him up, there's a shift in the atmosphere and things begin to pour out. His presence, His love, His unconditional love begin to come into your situation. That's what worship is. It's spiritual. It's powerful. It slices and cuts away the things that need to be cut off and pierces into the things that we want access to. You know, we need to come back and, and enjoy worship again. Friends, don't ever be late for church because worship is not just a sing-along. It, it, it's, it's God saying that, come and and and. You know, the, the, the way I, I was talking to Sam the other day about worship and God began to give me this imagery. You know, worship, the, you know, we sing God's truth, it's like bullets. The bullets are God's truth that can pierce anything. But the gunpowder, the catalyst, if you can put it that way, is a repentant and grateful heart. A heart that acknowledges God. And when you meet that together, boom, something, something shoots out. Either the enemy gets shot down or there's something that in the realm begins to bleed through and God's peace comes in, God's victory comes in. And throughout the Bible, you see this. That's why, it, you know, it was, it was through worship and praise that the walls of Jericho came down. It wasn't through any other means. And so we need to come back again. Worship Him. Have you been gripped by fear? Do you find yourself worrying a lot? This past week was challenging because some very close friends of of, of Ken and I, uh, uh, they, they had uh, a, a scary medical report. And you know, sometimes what's scary about a medical report is that the medical report takes time. And doctors sometimes can be so cryptic. Oh, please come in again. We need blood samples. We need this. 
we'll call you tomorrow. And then when they don't call, it becomes very worrying. And then when you say that, uh, anything, uh, blood, the, the, the lab needs more time. Needs more time? And so we can be gripped by fear. People that we love, we love them, but we cannot help but worry. And then the Lord begins to say that, don't worry. Don't worry. Your worrying is not going to solve the problem. Worship. Worship me. Turn your worry into worship. And begin to tell yourself that, hey, the same energy I used to, 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 to get stressed up and get worked up, I'm going to use that same energy to declare God's truth. That He reigns. Amen? And then point number three, you need to engage Him. Engage Him. It means it's not a one-off thing. It's not just a one-off acknowledgement, just a one-off worship. It's an ongoing engagement. And so Nebuchadnezzar engaged with God. But you know, my time is running out. So very quickly, I, I want to focus on this other aspect of engagement. Yes, engage with God. But how does God engage with us? Some of you are going to say, you know, His presence. Some of you are going to say His Word. But don't miss this. God engages through people. If you look at the Old Testament, it was always God pick one person Call him a prophet, call him a king, call him a hero, call him a judge. God used that one person. And when God eventually came, he came in a person named Jesus. God is a personal God. When he chooses to engage with he didn't drop a book from heaven. No, he came in person. He came to speak to us and speak into our situation. So when I say engage with God, by all means worship him, by all means read his word, but don't neglect connecting yourself with the people of God. Because Nebuchadnezzar would not have been set free if he didn't have a Daniel in his life. And we need Daniels in our lives. We need in our lives, in our close circle, like King Nebuchadnezzar had, people in our lives that we know embody the spirit of the living God. And, 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 and Daniel was a person who not only was there to help the king, but was brave and loving enough to correct the king. And says that, King, I implore you, repent. If you change your ways, maybe this won't come to pass. And we need to surround ourselves with people who love us enough to disagree with us. And go like, I love you very much. I'm all for you. I'm a biggest cheerleader. But, you're treading on thin ice, friends. But, you shouldn't be missing church. But, you should start serving. But, you should join homes. But, don't sleep on prayer meeting. You're missing out. Stop nagging me, you might say. But friends, you need Daniels in your lives. But on the other side, you also need to be a Daniel to the people around you. Let me ask you this. Today we talked about being ruled by pride, fear, flesh. What are you known by? What are you known by? In, in the realms of influence that you're in, work, life, whatever, friendship circle, what are you known by? Are you known as a Daniel? A person who has the spirit of the, not just living God, the holy God, Nebuchadnezzar said. I know the holy God is with you. A lot of us here, we would cringe 
to be known as the holy guy among our friends. If you're really honest, we will, I'd rather be known as a cool guy. I don't mind being known as a Christian, but I want to be known as a cool Christian. Friends, there's no such thing as a cool Christian. In fact, the Bible warns against it. Don't be cold. Be hot. But more than anything, the world's not looking for cool. Do you know that if the church use cool as a strategy, we'll always be losing because I, we will never be cool. The band here, no matter how much they practice, will never be as cool as the Beatles or as cool as Coldplay or as cool as whatever K-pop band you like. It will never be cool. The, the speaker will never be cool, never be as intellectual. No, no, no. It's about holiness and having the presence of God. So friends, are you known? Are you known as a person who's full of pride? Always playing the victim? I deserve better. Always gloating your victories. Oh, look at me. I'm so rich. Are we known as a friend who's always fearful? Oh, that person's always paranoid, always stressed, always afraid, always negative. Or worse, are we known as a friend who is just like, you know, going crazy by the flesh? The Bible is also inviting us to engage with Him and to engage with the world. And so maybe some of us here, you're saying, God, make me a modern-day Daniel to the world around me. I can be in the world of Babylon, but, but not off the world of Babylon. And, but because I'm in there, the world becomes a better place by God's grace. Acknowledge, worship, engage. If you spell it out, A-W-E, we need to come back to that place of being in awe of God again. If you've been touched by today's message and would like to invite Jesus into your life, why don't you join me in saying this prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for paying the ultimate price for my sins by dying on the cross for me. I receive your love and forgiveness and eternal life by faith. Come into my heart and life and be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you've been blessed by today's message. For more information about Acts, you can check out www.actschurch.uk. God bless.